All righty then. There we go. That's the Moses voice. I like that. Moses. Now anyway, uh, we are in still in our Matthew series. Like I said, we're going to be here for a while. We're going to uh, preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter until we cover it all, but we're doing it with sub-series. Uh, we are currently in a series called Upside Down. Now, just to catch you up real quick, last week we saw how Jesus had to remind the disciples to stay focused because they were targets, right? I mean, the, the enemy was coming after them very hard through the Jewish leaders, the Romans. They were, they were targets. And so he actually cautioned them, listen, beware of the Jewish leaders. I know you were raised under them. I know you were taught to respect them, but they are full of false teachings and they're deceitful, so be very careful for them. And then he, then he actually compares them to leaven, which is like yeast, he said they, they were like, they were like Yevon, just le- Yevon. They're like Yevon, which is, this is the Polish version of, of Levin. But anyway, um, uh, but he says they were, they were like leaven. Just like you put a little yeast or a little leaven in bread, it will affect the entire lump uh, of dough, uh, dough rather. But the same way, a little false teaching, a little deception can actually uh, send your life into a spiral. So he really warned him about it. That's why we, uh, last week, uh, said that one apple, uh, a bad apple spoils the whole bunch because it's like a bad apple. We learned last week that if you put a bad apple in with a barrel of good ones, it emits gases and it ruins them all. So he, he discussed that with them. So this week we're going to talk about something really important. Okay, really important. And this is, a, this is kind of a hot topic, and I'll explain that uh, as we go along. But today, Jesus is going to ask the disciples a really important question. Okay. And Peter's going to kind of rise to the forefront, which he has a tendency to do. Because if you just do a brief study of the Apostle Peter, you're going to find out two things. Okay? First of all, Peter was very passionate. And he was not afraid to put himself out there. Right? He would put himself out there in a heartbeat. But the second thing you're going to find out is because of that passion, sometimes he became a little impulsive and overconfident. I mean, to put it frankly, the guy stuck his foot in his mouth all the time. That's why I relate to Peter. You know what I mean? Uh, how many other people relate to Peter? You say something, and then after you say it, you go, why did I say that? Okay, that, that was Peter. So he's going to kind of rise to the forefront today. Now, now, Peter had his good and bad moments, but I want you to know he still became a huge force for God. But uh, in today's text, Jesus wanted to know who people believed he was. And the reason he's going to cover this is at that time, a lot of people believed that Jesus was a good man. I mean, they would concede that. They'd say, yeah, I mean, I mean, he's a good man, and he's probably from God. But only a very few actually understood his true identity and his real purpose. And here's the bottom line. Jesus doesn't want to be known as good. He wants to be known as God. Right? And I, I don't know if you've noticed this today. We get the same thing today. People will tell you that he was a great philosopher. He was a great speaker. He had great morals and ethics, you know, and that the things he taught were beneficial to people, but they won't go as far as to say he's God. But he doesn't want to be known as good. He wants to be known as God because that's exactly who he is. So that's as quick as I can do a recap. Let's jump in. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, remember, he had just been asked, by the Jewish leaders to prove he was from heaven. Remember that? They said, show us a miraculous sign to prove that, that you're from heaven. He just had that discussion with them. So they were kind of talking about his identity. So that, that topic's probably still fresh in his mind. 
But after leaving them, they cross the Sea of Galilee, and here they are outside the city. And it's a beautiful, it's a town actually, but it's, it was a beautiful place. It's right at the foot of Mount Hermon. And it is just beautiful. It's lush and green. Uh, and Caesarea Philippi was named after Her- uh, Herod the Great's son, Philip. And so they're, they're coming up on this town, right? And they're way north of Jerusalem now, so they're away from all the big crowds. He's got this alone time with his disciples as they're approaching this city, right? And here's where he asked this big question. So he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, this is not a question you want to ask your friends. You never want to ask your friends, what's the word on the street about me? Okay, because that question, you ask that question, you might not like some of the answers. Right? So this is a pretty brave question he's asking. So he says, who do people think that I am? Who, who, are they, who are they saying that I am? Right now, the, the answer seems way off target. It seems way off target. But when you think about it, it actually makes sense. Because here's what the disciples told him. Matthew 16, 14. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Okay? So that seems like a completely whacked answer, doesn't it? I mean, he and John the Baptist were alive at the same time. I'll explain that here in just a second. But when you think of this, the things that he did, the way that he related to some of these people, it kind of makes sense. For instance, like John, Jesus preached repentance, and he preached it hard to anybody who would listen. So some of the people started thinking, well, maybe after John was beheaded, he came back in spirit, and this is who is speaking through Jesus now. Because they saw some of those similarities. And like Elijah, Jesus prayed powerfully. I mean powerfully. And he did many great miracles. And people got to see those miracles. So a lot of people who were well studied and knew, knew about Elijah probably thought, well, maybe this is Elijah coming back. Because they believed that would happen. Right? And like Jeremiah, he was rejected by his people. And they could see how the Jews were going after him. And they could see those things. And so I could see how they would think of Jeremiah. And like the prophets, I mean, Jesus claimed to be sent from God to them. So it's not like these were completely crazy answers. They just weren't right. I mean, were the people wrong about who Jesus was? I mean, yeah, they were wrong about it. But, however, they did recognize that he was from God. They did recognize that. They saw that. And unlike the Jewish leaders, they could see God moving in him. You notice none of the answers were bad. None of the answers were, he's some crazy jerk that's fooling everybody. None of that happened. They knew God was moving through Jesus. Now, they didn't see that in the Jewish leaders. They never compared them to any of those people. They knew that something was wrong there, but they could see God at work in him. And this is a great example for believers. Because people should see God in us. Did you know that? It is so important. I think sometimes we get churchy-minded. We get that mindset that, you know, you got to be good when you're in church. When you're around church people or the pastor, you got to make sure you watch your mouth. And just, you know, just a side note here, I hate that. Not that I mind you watching your mouth, don't take me wrong. But I hate it when people treat me like the principal. You know what I mean? Like you walk in the room and everybody's like, like, you know what I mean? I'm like going, I'm not the spiritual police, back off. You know what I mean? But people get a little churchy-minded and they forget that, that what happens here is important, but not as important as what happens out there. And listen, 
it's so important that out there, what you learn here, what you learn in your private time, people see out there so that they can see God moving through you. And what you say and what you do and how you treat people matters. Because sometimes people write themselves passes, oh, it's just a bad day. Well, your bad day might have been the day that someone said, oh, yeah, and that guy claims to be a Christian. People should see God in you like they saw God in Jesus. They saw him. Now, did they know exactly who he was? No. They didn't get his ID right. But they did get the origin of his power right. They did know that he was from God. And because of that, a lot of these people probably believed eventually. Especially when you consider what all happened in the events surrounding the crucifixion and the resurrection. Remember, over 500 people, even secular history will show that over 500 people saw the risen Savior. And they probably put how he acted in a godly fashion with all the miracles together. And this probably made them believe because they saw God in him. So, yeah, the answer was kind of strange. The answer was kind of weird. But at least they were seeing God in him. And at least the comparisons they made were godly people in their eyes. Now, this is kind of a setup for the next question. Okay, and I love this. Matthew 16, 15. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, I'm going to talk about this later in the message, but that is a question all of us are going to have to answer at one time or another. Did you know that? Who do you say that I am? All of us will have to answer that at one time or another. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Here's the thing. Jesus knew what people were saying about him. Don't forget he was God. He knew what they thought about him. So when he asked this question, it was for the benefit of the disciples. It wasn't for his own benefit. Right? Because remember what just happened? Remember what just happened? They were crossing the Sea of Galilee, and he starts to warn them about the leaven of the Pharisees. And what are they worried about? Bread. They are with the Savior of the world, a third part of the Trinity. I mean, we're talking, they are with God in the flesh. And he says, let me talk to you about the leaven of the Pharisees. And they're going, oh, man, he knows we forgot the bread. Now what are we going to do? What are we going to eat? Remember, Jesus goes, really? I mean, do you remember the 5,000 I fed with a few pieces of bread and a few fish? Seriously, you, you think I'm worried about bread? I think I can, I can provide something here. I mean, it's not going to be White Castle, but I can provide something here. So, you know, they, they showed a little hint of fatalism there. So, so he wanted them to really understand who it was they served. He's saying, I want you to reflect for just a second. You just had your bonehead moment. Now we're alone. Who do you say that I am? Now, I have this weird, you know, mind. You guys know that. And so I can just imagine when he asked this question, all the disciples going, ooh, 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 and Peter just blurting it out. You're the Messiah. Son of the <laughs> just, just blurts it out, you know. He's, he's that guy. He just blurts it out. You are the son of the living God, the Messiah. Right now, despite his tendency to speak before thinking, finally, he said something. He blurted something out that was good. He was, he was right about this. Right? So then he says something that, I mean, is very, very, very important. Now, the reason he asked that, who do you say that I am? I really believe he wanted them to reflect. He wanted them to remember, hey, just a few minutes, you know, just a few you know, hours ago, day ago, whatever, you were worried about me providing for you. Now I'm asking you, who do you say I am? And you say I'm the Messiah. You need to remember that. 
You need to remember that. When we start facing difficulties, you need to remember that. When the odds look against us, you need to remember that. You say that I'm the son of the living God. You say that I'm the Messiah. Good. Then don't lose focus when trouble hits us. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But he says something really important after this. And this is something, now I'll be honest with you, this is something that, that's been misunderstood and mistaught and misrepresented and it's confused a lot of people. So we're going to cover it. Matthew 16, 17. And Jesus said to them, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or son of John, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now I think this is really interesting. Because he looks at Peter and he says, You didn't come up with that on your own. He's saying, you're blessed because you didn't come up with that on your own. And here's why. Only God can reveal the true identity of Jesus to people. Only God can do that. All right? Because Jesus is supernatural. And the natural mind just can't grasp that. And to, just to explain that to you, have you, ever, have you ever thought about it for a second when you think about grace, getting something you don't deserve? And then you start thinking about, you know, the Bible says if you confess, he's faithful and righteous to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you think, gosh, that's too easy. Anybody ever think that? Or you think to yourself, you know, the Bible says that, you know, if you ask for forgiveness, you'll get it. If you trust in him, he'll provide for you. And our carnal mind says that just, gosh, that just doesn't, doesn't seem like it could be that easy. Our carnal minds can't grasp the supernatural. It takes God to reveal that to us, right? So, Listen to this, Romans 8, 7. Paul said, for the mind set on the flesh. Remember we talked about the flesh? When it talks about a mind set on the flesh, it's talking about a mind that's what? Worldly. Right? It's a mind that's thinking about the world. It's not thinking about God. But it says, for the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on flesh is hostile toward God. All right? It means that our very nature wants to rebel against God, is hostile toward God. Uh, for it does not subject itself for the law, uh, to the law of God, for it is not even what? It's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So it takes a supernatural God to reveal a supernatural Savior. So he looked at Peter and he said, you are blessed because you are listening to God and God is revealing to you who I am. You did not come up with that on your own. That is something God is speaking to you about. That's something God is revealing to you, right? And here's the, here's the thing that's amazing. When someone truly wants a relationship with God, this hasn't changed. God will reveal him to them, always. He will reveal who Jesus is to them. Listen, I don't know if you remember that time, but there was a time in my life when I knew that there was a God, and I knew that Jesus was supposed to be his son, and we got Christmas presents celebrating his birthday. I knew that. I knew Easter was celebrating his resurrection, didn't really get it, but hey, we got chocolate and stuff. You know, I got the point of what he was supposed to be, but it was kind of like history. Did anybody ever think of God like that? I mean, you just, you rehearse in your mind what you know about the story, but you don't buy in 100%. How many people have been there? Where you're just not, I mean, at one point in your life, you're like, yeah, I mean, I know, you know, I, there's probably a God, and you know, I, I don't want to be disrespectful about that, but you know, it's just, you're just not bought in yet. But I don't know if you remember that time when God started revealing to you that you need him. And at first it starts out with just something is missing. Right? Something is missing. And then he just like puts these handfuls of purpose in front of you. 
until step by step, he leads you to the offer, to the opportunity. I remember mine, I've said this before, I was driving home from a softball game. My wife had already become a Christian, which blew my mind. I was kind of mad at her. Because I'm like, you're going to become a Christian? Really? Does that mean long dresses, polyester, and you know what I mean? Listening to the Gaithers? I mean, that's what I was thinking. I didn't know. You know, and I was like, I was still a little bit confused. I'm on my way home from a softball game. It's like a Tuesday night or Wednesday night. And there's this church with the lights on, Little White Church. I'm like, what kind of wacko has church during the middle of the week? (laughs) I know I shouldn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. And I kept saying that as I pulled in. And with my dirty sweats on and my hillbilly posse shirt, yes, that was the name of our team, I went in there, and everything he said was at me. It's like God was laying this path, like putting breadcrumbs out for me, pulling me to that opportunity. So when he says, God revealed that to you to Peter, I get it. Because little by little, he started making me understand that Jesus wasn't just the Son of God, he was the Savior of the world, and he loved me so much he died for me. So that I wouldn't have to be good enough, I would just have to believe in what he did. That was revealed to me. My carnal mind couldn't put that together. But when God started revealing himself to me and revealing to me who Jesus was, he started pulling me closer and closer. So I promise you, if you're looking for him, you'll find him. Because God will reveal you to him. I love how he said that to Peter. Now, as I said earlier, remember I said that eventually we're all going to be answering that question, who is Jesus? That is so true. And it doesn't matter whether you're an unbeliever or a believer, and I know what you're thinking. I'll explain that. But we're all going to have to answer that question. To the unbeliever, if you want eternal life, you're going to have to answer that question. Right? You will have to answer that question. And everyone will have the opportunity to answer that question. Because the grace of God is available to everyone. Now, there's a lot of doctrines out there that say that's not the case, and the theological term for that is wrong, because it is the case. He will reveal himself to everyone. Everyone's going to have that opportunity. In in Titus 2.11, it says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to what? To all people. Did it say people in in the Western Hemisphere? Did it say people who were raised with a Christian heritage? No, it says, to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godlessness, uh, from godless living and sinful pleasures. Uh, we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward to the hope, to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. So, the opportunity will come. It will come. We're Jesus is going to be putting it on your heart, showing you that something's missing. If you're that unbeliever, listen to me. When you start questioning those things, when you notice something's missing and he starts coming to your mind, be very careful about dismissing that. Because he's asking you, who do you think that I am? Because listen, there's only two answers to that question. One will redeem you and one will condemn you. One is, you're my Lord and Savior, and that will give you eternal life. And the other one is, you're my missed opportunity. Because you allow yourself to just push it to the back. But everyone, everyone has that opportunity. It cracks me up. People say, well, what about atheists? There's no such thing. Now I'm going to get a bunch of emails from atheists I have to ignore. But listen, there's no such thing. If you really don't believe in something, you don't make it your number one purpose to fight about it all the time. You know what I mean? You ever thought about that? How many people argue with people over the existence of the Easter Bunny? Kevin, other than Kevin and Doug, there's always two. But listen, 
I don't sit down with people and go, there's no Easter Bunny. And they're going, yeah, I didn't ask. Well, I'm just saying. And I started an alliance called There's No Easter Bunny. I'm anti-Easter Bunny, just so you know. You don't do that. You don't believe in it, and you just go on with your life. Why do they keep fighting and starting organizations? Because they are fighting against themselves, not us. They're fighting against that little voice inside them saying, who do you say that I am? And he keeps repeating that to them, and they don't want to listen. So when they fight back, they're fighting against themselves. That's why they do that. Because if you're comfortable with something, who cares what anybody thinks, am I right? That's just, oh, it just drives me crazy. But listen, that's how it affects an unbeliever. But to the believer, we're going to have to answer this question too. And I mean in this world. And this is so, so important. Because every time we face difficult situations, the ones that life throws at us all the time, that's why you never hear me saying up here, when you come to Jesus, the world's going to be perfect to you and everything's going to be great. Because that's just a lie. Because the devil's still employed. And he's coming after you, right? And when those hard times come on us, and we start to struggle, and you know when you're struggling for a while, and you start to surrender a little bit to fear and anxiety and doubt, that starts to creep in into your life, when that happens, I can just hear Jesus saying, so who do you, who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who is it that you think you serve? Because you were worried about something I can fix, and yet you're not talking to me about it. Who do you think I am? Do you think I'm a Savior that doesn't care about his people? I died for you. Do you think I'm a Savior that can't perform miracles? You've seen them all over the place. You've read about them in Scripture. You've seen them in real life. I created everything that exists in six, day, six days, and you are worried, and you are filled with fear, and you are filled with doubt, and you are filled with anxiety. Who do you say that I am? Who do you think it is that you serve? You know, when you have those struggles, when your marriage is struggling, before you run to the attorney, before you run to all your friends to get terrible advice, you know what I mean? I got a newsflash for you. They're not really going to tell you what you need to hear. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. Right? Before you run to them, stop for a second. See if you can hear Jesus saying, who do you think I am? Do you think I am able to fix your marriage? Do you think I'm able to heal hearts? Now, maybe, maybe one rejects that and it doesn't happen, but do you give him the chance? Because he's saying, I am the Son of God, the Messiah. I created everything in existence. And you're in fear and anxiety over your marriage, I can fix that. You know, he still heals. I have some of the most bold people I've ever met in my life are the people who are terminal and completely trusting God through the whole thing. You know why? Because when he says, who do you say that I am? They say, you are the God of all creation, my Savior, and I trust myself to you. That's how they're able to stand like that. They know who he is. Basically, when Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? He's saying, are you willing to surrender to your struggles or surrender to me and trust me to take control? Remember who it is that you serve. Listen, think back for a second. Has he ever let you down? That's why we should be answering that question when it says, who do you think that I am? We should say, all I need, everything I need, and I'm surrendering to you. There's a time we will all be asked that, even as believers, and how we answer it is so important. Because remember, the world is watching. 
And when they see that you surrender to your struggles before you surrender to Jesus, they don't see God in you anymore. Then they start to ask, well, who is this Jesus if his people can't even have peace in trusting him? You see what I mean? That is so, so important. Now, I'm going to move on to a little bit more controversial stuff here. He says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, right? And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, this is the most controversial part. And I don't know how many, how many people have faced this, this scenario with somebody. Okay, a few of you? Good. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say good, but I understand anyway. But here's the deal. This isn't hard to understand. This is one of those issues that religion just gets in the way. All right? You're thinking more about what your religion teaches than what the Bible is teaching. It's really not that hard. Religion just kind of clouds this up. Because some see this, and they say this means that the whole, the whole Christian faith, the whole New Testament church was built on Peter. Anybody ever hear that? Yeah, they say it was all built on Peter. And for that reason, he's referred to by some as the first pope, by others as the first church leader. Okay? But nothing could be further from the truth. This is just the result of not taking time to look at what's being said here. Okay, nothing could be further from the truth. Because think about it, if you were to look in the New Testament and see who the most prolific and powerful apostle was, who would most of you say? Paul. Right? The Apostle Paul. Peter wasn't even the first pastor in Scripture. Okay? So, it's, it's, just, it's just not, there's nothing, there's no truth to this. And I'll explain why that is. We don't understand the full meaning of the word rock. See, people find out just enough to prove what they believe. Right? He says, your name is Peter. And, and see, what it translates to in the Greek is the Greek word petros, which means a stone. You are a stone, right? Okay, that's the word he used for rock there. That's his name translates into that. All right, now in the, ma- in the Greek, Petros is, is masculine. Okay, it's, it's in the masculine tense. Now when Jesus said on this rock, it was a different Greek word. He's saying you are Peter, Petros, but upon this rock, Petra. Okay, and this means large rock, bedrock foundation okay stick with me here all right when jesus used petra referring to he was referring to peter's confession what peter was saying he's saying you are peter and you are a rock that word was uh, was in the feminine okay the totally different now jesus what he was trying to say is listen peter you are a rock in character and what you said shows that you're a rock in character, and you will accomplish great things for me. This is what he was saying. You are Peter. You are a rock. You are a stone. You are going to be strong. You are going to hold up a lot of people in the church. You're going to do a many, many great things for me. But your confession, what you just said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, what you just said upon that foundation, upon that foundation, Petra, On that foundation, I will build my church, meaning I will build my church on faith that Jesus is the Messiah. That is going to be the foundation of Christianity. He's saying, I will build my church, my ecclesia, which means a called out assembly. I will build that 
based on faith. And what you just said is the absolute foundation of Christianity. And I'll build my church on that. He wasn't saying, I will build my church on you. Do you really think God would build his church on Peter? On any man. But I mean, Peter? You know what I mean? The guy that said he'd never deny him? Right? The guy that always piped off too quick? Now, he was a great man. I'm not dissing Peter. So don't email me if you're any of his, you know, distant relatives. I'm just saying, he wouldn't build it on any man. He built it on faith. It was built on faith in the Messiah, the confession that he made. You are a strong man. You are a rocking character. You will do great things for my kingdom. But what you just said, that profession of faith in me as the Messiah, I'll build my church on that. It's not going to be built on legalism. It's not going to be built on rules and regulations. It's not going to be built on the law. It's going to be built on what people say when I ask them, who do you say that I am? And when they say the Messiah, the son of the living God, that faith will give them eternal life. That's how I'm going to build my kingdom. And then he throws in this extra bonus. He said, and let me tell you something. Hell, the gates of hell will not prevail or overthrow it. This means the enemy all his demons, everything they can throw at you are not powerful enough to undo what I'm going to do in these people's lives. Oh, he'll mess with them. And he'll make their life tough. But he'll never take away the fact that they'll be with me for eternity. They will not be able to overpower it. Isn't that powerful? Think about it. When you are walking in faith, let's be honest, none of us are stronger than the devil. Don't you hate it when people say that? People go, I wouldn't be afraid to take him on. I am. I do not want to take him on. All right? I, I'm a coward. I've seen too many movies. I don't want to face anybody with their head spinning around. No, I'm just kidding. But I, I cannot defeat him on my own. But when I am walking in the center of God's will, when I am trusting in him being the Messiah, the son of the living God, whatever he instructs me to do in that moment, I'm bulletproof to the enemy. And I absolutely love that right now the next thing i want you to understand what he's about to say is directed at peter's position not his person here's another misconception okay matthew 16 19 this also adds to why people think he was the first pope or first leader it says jesus said and i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven how many people have heard about that keys to the kingdom seriously how many people have heard about the keys of the kingdom okay thank you wake up morning service all right, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. You see how people misunderstood this? Like he was setting the rules. That's what it sounded like, doesn't it? Not what's happening. Verse 20, then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And we've discussed that before. That's because he wanted people to come to that on their own. Anyway, all right, so let's take a look at this. The keys to the kingdom, first of all, they're not literal keys. So don't go on any, you know, and he digs trying to find them. They're not literal keys. Okay? The keys to the kingdom are also not what you've been told. It wasn't them handing the scepter to Peter and saying, now everything bounces off of you. That's not what he was saying. Aren't you glad that those weren't literal keys? I could never find my keys. Can you imagine if I were one of the disciples and he says, Chris, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. All the other ones go, no! He'll lose them! Don't give them to him. No, but these are not literal keys, all right? 
What he was saying was that this meant that Peter now had the ability to open up the kingdom to people, to open people's understanding about the kingdom, to unlock the ignorance they'd had through religion and, and through the Jewish leaders, to unlock the truth and reveal the kingdom to them and the possibilities that they had. This is what he was talking about. He's saying, Peter, now I'm giving you, you the ability to set people free, to unlock the mystery that's got so many people confused because of the bad teaching they've received. This, these keys are you being able to teach them about faith in the fact that they can enter the kingdom no matter whether they're Jew or Greek, they have the opportunity. I'm giving you the ability to open up the kingdom to anyone. Now, at one time, it was only Jesus doing this, but now he's giving it to Peter, right? And then later, he entrusts it to all the apostles. If you look at, at Matthew 18, 18, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall, be, shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. He was saying this to the apostles. He gave it to all of them. But here's the cool part. He didn't stop there. Eventually, everyone who believes has these keys. Did you know it? That's why I'm thankful they're not literal keys, because I wouldn't have them already, right? This means that every one of us who knows Christ and has access to the Word of God has the ability to reveal to people how to become a part of the kingdom, to let them understand that they can be a part of the kingdom. It gives us the equipment, truth, to open the kingdom to people, right? And people go, well, it said whatever he said went. See how they abbreviate that? Well, it said that whatever Peter said goes. That's not what it was saying. See, the, the binding and loosening or permitting and forbidding, depending on your translation, those were rabbinical terms because rabbis were allowed to make decisions like who's included and who's excluded. They were allowed to do that. They were allowed to forbid things, to declare new precepts. They had, like, ultimate authority. So he was kind of using their terminology. What he was saying is, Peter, now you and the others have the authority to judge the word that I've given you to share with them. You are able to lead by my word through faith. You are able to lead these other people. You'll be able to make decisions and decide what can and what can't be taught based on the word. You'll be able to do that. You can lead my kingdom. You can lead my people here on earth to the kingdom and be an effective leader if you stick to the rock, the foundation, which is faith. You are now able to do that. This didn't mean Peter could just come up with stuff. There are so many people in so many different faiths that believe there's one man that can change anything with a whim. That's not the case. Peter was given the authority there to judge from the Word of God, to teach from the Word of God, to forbid people to teach opposing to the Word of God. This is what he was given him. So basically he was saying, I'm giving you the keys to becoming effective leaders, and I think they were effective, don't you? They turned the world upside down. Without seminary degrees, without the approval of the religious, uh, you know, popular religious bodies of that time, they were able to turn the world upside down because they taught from the rock, the foundation, which is faith, because they answered the question correctly, who do you say that I am? Isn't that powerful? Listen, aren't you glad the church wasn't built on one person, but on the promise of faith? That's what's so, so important. Now listen, I have a challenge for you before I close. All right, undoubtedly, probably in the next week, maybe in the next 24 hours, depending on who you're married to, you're going to have struggles. <laughs> Just kidding. You're going to have trials. That's going to happen. 
Now, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I find that when things are going rough around me, maybe you've got a friend that's in trouble and, and you don't understand what's happening to them or, you've, or you know, someone's lost a loved one. Whatever the case may be, you're going to be faced with struggles. And sometimes we don't immediately think to take that to God. You ever notice we immediately think what we can do? Am I the only one that does that? Does anybody here immediately try to think, how can I figure this out? Right, I mean, it's like the first thing we do. And how many people realize that after you try to figure it out, you make it worse? Anybody done that? Oh, man. It's not just redheads. Good. Here's what I want you to do. When a difficult situation arises this week, before you do anything, before you make a move, I want you to ask yourself, who is Jesus? Who is he to me? Who do I think he is? Challenge yourself to that because I think it will snap us back into realizing we're not in control, he is. And if we believe who he is, we should be giving that to him. We should be surrendering that to him. I think this is one of the most powerful questions we can ask ourselves. I'm struggling. I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent this month. Maybe I can borrow money from a 35% payday loan place. Or maybe, I can, or maybe you can ask yourself, who do I think Jesus is? Do I believe everything I go to church and amen about? If I believe that, I'm going to take it to him first and let him lead me. You're angry at somebody. Before you say, I'm going to pick up the phone and tell them. Say, who do I think Jesus is? Do I think he's able to settle this? Then I'm going to take it to him. Your finances are struggling no matter what it is, your marriage. Before you make any steps, I want you to ask yourself this question. Who is Jesus? Who do I really believe he is? And if the answer is, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, shouldn't you trust that to him first before you do anything else? This is what he was trying to teach his disciples. I'm going to go ahead and close there. I'm going to ask if you would to please bow your heads. If this is your first time here, we always like to give an invitation. And I'll tell you, I, honestly, when people hear that word, they get confused. Because a lot of times people say, well, come down front, or I, this is not what this is about. Remember earlier when I said that everyone's going to have the opportunity to answer that question? Believe me, when you are hearing the word of God, it's not about who's speaking. It's about what they're speaking. Sometimes it feels like the whole message was prepared for you. That is him saying, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? You know that if you're one of those people that just honestly can say, I, you know, I, I don't know where I stand with him. I was raised in church and I don't know where I stand with him. I just want to pray for you that you make that decision, that you take the time to listen and answer that question. The Messiah, the Son of the living God. If you'd like me to pray for you and you're not sure where you stand, while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, just make eye contact with me, put your head right back down. Bless those people. I'm not going to point you out or chase you down. Bless those people. Listen, I legitimately will pray for you because I've been there. And the difference between me and you is that I trust this grace because I certainly don't deserve it. Every day I'm reminded I don't deserve it. And if you're a believer and you've allowed yourself to give in to fear and anxiety or anger, whatever it is, I'm going to pray for you too that you will ask yourself that question. Who is he to me? Because if you answer it honestly, there's no reason for you to worry. Because if you believe he's the God of all creation, if you believe He's the Messiah. You've got to trust him to do what he said he'd do. 
Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I am still amazed. You just spread your grace to anyone who will believe. You offer yourself to anyone who will believe. You constantly ask us for the opportunity to profess our faith in you. And the love you have for us, I can't understand. My mind can't grasp it. I don't know how you can love people who constantly make mistakes, who constantly reject you, who constantly sin. I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. I'm just thankful that your love and your grace is more powerful than our weakness. And I thank you for the gift of eternal life. And I just pray if there's someone here who doesn't know you, that when that question is asked to them in their heart, that they just lay down all the negativity, all the religion, anything that's, that's confusing them, and just trust your word that the one who believes has eternal life. And I pray they answer that question, you are my Savior. And God, I know that you will give them eternal life. You've promised that. And if they make that decision, I just, I just hope they contact us or contact a good believer that lives close to them or find a good institution that's living close to them if they're a long way from here because I, I just want them to have people to walk with them in their journey of faith. And God, for those of us who are believers, it is so easy to be faithful on Sundays and forget who you are through the rest of the week. Every time we struggle, every time we're challenged, every time we face difficulties in this life no matter what it is i pray the first thing we do is remind ourselves who we think you are and the more we learn to answer that question as my provider my counselor my creator my savior i think the more we'll be able to trust you and see victory in our lives let us trust you as who you are god i just pray as we leave here today you would keep us safe let us live a life that reflects you to all who see us god i pray that people see the love that you've shown us in our words in our actions Lord we just pray that if we don't get called home if you don't come to take us home before we meet again that you would let us come together with thankful hearts and give you all the praise and glory you're so worthy of at least one more time we just thank you Lord for all that you do and we ask these things in Jesus name Amen